0: We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burrows.
1: And I'm TJ Darty.
0: And we are the Reformed Informants. TJ, I was on your Facebook page the other day, man, and I peeped this story of this uh, once in a lifetime photography session. Uh, that went down for you guys so i don't know how many of our listeners are following you or me on social media i can't remember did you post that on twitter
1: i did not it was too it was okay. too, too wordy had so had character limitations
0: yeah this is facebook only type yeah. material here but we're gonna yeah. go ahead and kick off this episode um by, by getting a recap of uh T.J. taking a few pictures the, the other day.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to keep this concise, but man, it's I could really embellish this thing, make it a really good story if I wanted to. Um, but suffice to say, here, here's how this, this story goes. Last week on Tuesday night, I get a phone call from a church member um, who says uh, there's a, a very reputable photographer coming into town uh, to shoot some photos for a handful of families. She had a slot open up, and she said, hey, I was just curious. I was thinking maybe Chloe would be curious and getting some maternity photos. And uh, so she said the only catch is that it's tomorrow. It's the next day. So I asked Chloe. She's interested. We're like, all right, it's right, we're, we're in. She says, okay, the time slot is 8.15 p.m. So, again, we have a now 11-month-old daughter. Bedtime is like 8. you know, this place is like 30 minutes as a farm, like half an hour from our house. So we, we decide we're going to risk it. We're going to just, you know, chance for some good photos, reputable photographer, the whole deal. So Wednesday comes next day is Wednesday and Wednesdays in ministry. Lance, you know, this Wednesdays are long days in ministry, uh, full day at the office. I came home for about two minutes to change clothes, to head back to prayer meeting, um, at a different location since we're not able to meet at the church. We're meeting outdoors. And when I came back, Chloe was, uh, I don't want to say exasperated. She wasn't, but she told me, she said, today's been one of the harder parenting days of, of Blakely's life. Just been, just been one of those days. And I tried to encourage her, you know, I hadn't been around. It's like, Hey, I'm here now. I'll help. We're good. So we finally get our stuff together. We drive out to this place. We're supposed to be there day 15. When we get to the property of this farm, out in, the middle, out in the middle of nowhere, really, it is like you have to drive like five miles an hour. You're going back through like turns and like one lane, like grass roads and gravel and over a bridge and, you know, around the cornfield. I mean, it's like in the middle of nowhere. And um, we finally get out there. It's like 8, 14 and 59 seconds, you know. We like pull up and it's like, okay, it's time. And we get out, trying to get Blakely situated. And we close the, I close the door to the car phone this car she's on this car for like 10 years close the door to the car and the doors just lock inexplicably like what what what's going on so i i mean i have an immediate panic attack so he, yeah it had to be had to be spiritual warfare so here's the situation it's 8 15 my wife is 30 weeks pregnant she hasn't had dinner has had a terribly long day it doesn't feel good our daughter is at her bedtime and we are supposed to be taking family photos. We are now 30 minutes from our house, locked out of our vehicle, no phones, no nothing, no wallet, no keys. And only person around is a photographer who's a hundred pound little girl. <laughs> so, oh, and to make matters worse, it's about to start storming. So that's kind of the situation we found ourselves in now. Well, any good
0: photographer by the way would have started taking pictures while you guys were standing around the car of that moment you know, of that you know of that moment you got to well, capture that
1: well thankfully she didn't because there's no telling the looks that my poor wife was having to give me wondering how i managed to do this but thankfully the story has a happy ending because where i live in kentucky we got some good old country boys and uh there was another family that showed up they were the last one to take photos they were coming after me and apparently they had some expertise and some experience and they were able to break into my car fairly easily <laughs> Um, and were able to, to take care of that. So all that to say, we, we we had to wait like half an hour. They had to take their photos, try to beat the rain. So I'm running around trying to entertain uh Blakely, who is getting dangerously close to having a meltdown. We can't get our food. It's time for her to eat. It's time for bed. Uh, But anyways... Nonetheless, it was quite an eventful day and, uh, quite, quite an experience whenever all those things, uh, the perfect storm metaphorically aligned. And the the only thing that kept it from being worse was the, the literal storm didn't actually hit because it was, it was about to get bad. So, uh, anyways, that, that was my Wednesday. It was a lot easier for me because I could laugh about it, but my poor wife endured the worst part of that. So sorry, babe.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, we want all of our listeners to to be in on that and be part of the family here. So we're going to post pictures of TJ zoomed in, Um <laughs> just so you can get the full effect of how he was feeling during uh, oh, those moments.
1: What a, what a day! You know, I, 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 it's funny you mentioned that. Like when you listen to guys or you read articles from people, or you you know guys that we listen to podcasts. Like a lot of times you just forget because sometimes the relationship you have is one of podcast listener and podcast host and it's like hey this is you know we got families we got real life and that stuff happens and it's just so funny uh like that that stuff just kind of happens and you take it in stride and deal with it um but uh, somebody told me this would be a good place to end this we can get into the episode but somebody told me that what we should do is buy the worst photo from this shoot and frame it and then there's the story that goes with it so just a picture of blakely like having a meltdown or something that's that's what i'm looking for
0: yeah and you'll be able to purchase that on the ri shop um <laughs> we'll post a couple put a, links
1: put it on a t-shirt or a coffee mug that's that's great <laughs> well, oh, there, there's
0: really no uh smooth or clean way to transition into our episode mm-hmm. now yeah, but
1: yeah <laughs> get, yeah get us out of here i'm tired of talking about me
0: um but before we get into the meat of the episode we, we do want to mention that this is our 50th full-length episode that uh we are recording right now um which we are super excited about um that, that we've continued the podcast uh this far um and lord willing we're praying that we're going to be able to make 50 more um over the coming months and then over the coming years so we want to thank you guys out there that consistently download and stream and share and um, uh, listen to our uh, podcast. Uh, I mean, you, know, you guys are the main reason that we do that. We want to be able to get good theology out there, and um, it encourages us to know encourages us rather to know that that we have um, you know dozens of people out there uh, across the world, really uh listening. Right, dozens so, comment. I can yeah, never go without that. I know you
1: say dozens all the time. We we <laughs> really we really don't do anything for the for the numbers, right? We don't do anything for the numbers. Uh when you and I started this process a year and a half ago, it, it it wasn't so we could get all the notoriety and the fame that comes with it, right? Like there's all kinds of that stuff out there. We know that we're we're nobodies on the grand scheme of things. Uh, but it is really encouraging. You you've written down some of these stats for us. We have Twelve thousand plus downloads on our episodes. Um, we have a handful of those who have been, which have been downloaded over three hundred times, uh, including, I believe, our gospel episodes, um, which is so encouraging to hear that the gospel is getting out there. Uh, an average episode, we're running, you know, a little north of two hundred downloads, which is just. Far more than we would have expected. We're not. We're not even a blip on the radar in the podcast world. We know that, but that's really cool for us, and we're thankful for those of you who listen. Uh, we also are, are, are on YouTube, and our total views uh, there. Uh, you combine all that stuff, you think, man, God is using uh, a simple conversation from between two guys who who enjoy theology uh, to make much of Himself um, in the lives of a handful of people who faithfully listen. And, uh, Lance, you said it well, man, like those of you who listen week in and week out, who encourage us as, Hey, listening, encouraging, we love it. Keep it coming. Uh, that's just so great. So none of that stuff is to say like, Hey, look how great we are because we know that we're not. It's just, Hey, this is really cool to see how God has used a simple idea, a simple concept and turned it into something bigger than we would have done on our own. So anyway, thank you guys for listening.
0: This is episode 50, um, Christology Part Six Christ as Prophet, Priest, and King. Okay, so this episode, um, as we get rolling here, we're going to discuss uh, the offices of Christ. The fact that he has an office, just like TJ has an office at his church, right? Is that <laughs> different? Is that where, is that where we're going with that here?
1: Different. And I want you to, to help us understand this. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you actually define um, the office and, and why we're even having this conversation. But I, I do want to kind of make one point to th- as we just kind of think about this as a whole. When we have broken down these different doctrines, and if you're new to the podcast, we want to encourage you to go back and listen to previous doctrines we're building as systematic. Uh, our regular listeners know uh, that we're doing that successively. Um, but when you... When you typically deal with the doctrine of Christology, uh, studying Jesus, you typically break break down Christology into two parts, the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And so we've looked at the person of Christ. We've looked at his deity. We've looked at his eternal existence. We've looked at his humanity. We've looked at the hypostatic union. We, we've looked at those things which define his person. And we're going to get into his work. And that is the the work of the atonement, his, his accomplishing of salvation. And that leads us into the next bit of conversation and the next doctrine down the road. But but when we get into this, the, the offices, you kind of have a little bit of both. Like this is kind of the transition between his person and his work, because this is this is demonstrating the offices that he holds, which are kind of encapsulated in his personhood and what he's doing, but also bleeds into the work that he does out of those offices. Lance, add to that, clarify that, pick up my mess.
0: No, that's not mess at all, and that's not even on the guide, but I appreciate you adding that because that does really transition us in our Christology series from talking about the person of Christ into the work of Christ. So everything that we've talked about on the previous uh, five episodes needs to be carried over into this uh, this area of our Christology study. Um, so as we look at the offices of Christ Uh, tj you're exactly right we're focusing not only on his person because only his person can do this but we're focusing on his work what did he actively accomplish uh, while he was here uh, during his uh, incarnation so just to kind of broaden our understanding of uh, the offices of christ that can be defined as different positions of authority um divine appointments or you could basically define it the position of christ so we're going to argue that christ has three particular offices three particular positions or in other words you could also say that christ was sent to accomplish three divine appointments amongst others but uh, in particular we're going to highlight three of those in this episode and as we said before in the title uh, we're going to discuss christ being a prophet Christ as priest and Christ as king. Now I'm going to swing it back your way, TJ, because I want you to kind of unfold and unpack uh, quickly here uh, the idea of these three offices in the Old Testament, and then we're going to connect those to Christ.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think about the person of Christ, um, we've said often, right, that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, and the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and you see this this progressive revelation uh, that occurs as you begin in Genesis, and even, uh, for example, Genesis 3.15, right, you see the proto-gospel, the beginning of the gospel, which is ultimately going to come to fruition in the person of Christ. And when you think about those terms that you just mentioned, those offices that you just mentioned, Lance, Prophet, priest, king. If you're familiar with Scripture at even a rudimentary level, but especially if you're a student of the Word, you know those terms. You know those offices, and they are highly significant in the Old Testament. Now, there are other offices, of course, that that uh, we see, but those three are the most prominent. Uh, The characters of the Old Testament are almost. Uh, almost exclusively, as far as the, the central thematic characters, almost exclusively categorized into those uh, into those offices. So you have kings, you have prophets, you have priests, uh, prevalent throughout the Old Testament. And the reason why we think about this on a on a large scale in the person of Christ is that he comes to be the better prophet. He comes to be the better priest. He comes to be the better king. And so all of the line of prophets ultimately culminates in the person of Christ. Simultaneously, all the lines of the priest culminates in the person of Christ. And then simultaneously, again, all of the persons of the kings culminates in the person of Christ. And so you see these lines kind of, uh, you, you can almost picture them like three lines all coming to one punctiliar position in that that point there at the end is the person of Christ. So all of these trajectories through the old Testament, these, the the threads being woven through the narrative and through the progressive revelation from Genesis um, it, through the old Testament, when you get to the new Testament and the person of Christ walks onto the scene, he takes all of those threads and ties them together in his person.
0: Dude, There's a lot to take in from that tj yeah i think but, you
1: wanted me to unpack something and yeah. i think i just packed it a little tighter because we got to unravel that a little bit more but but i hope that that that's just kind of an overview of where we hope to go
0: yeah and you also said punctilier i did
1: was- <laughs> i wasn't on the guide either sometimes i mean sometimes when you're preaching it feels like michael scott you just start a sentence and you don't know where to, you just hope to find it along the way like i just, you just say words and and then you gotta then you gotta resolve the the melody at the end you yeah. know how, how do i do that
0: yeah, a thesaurus, man. I, I don't even need that for my uh, seminary papers. I'm just going to text you oh, no, and gosh. get punctiliar uh, added into the mix. Oh, that, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, was, that was gorgeous. <laughs> oh, yeah, the only thing I would add to that um, is that when you do read through the Old Testament, you do come across prophet, priests, and kings, like you said. But Christ is the only one that fulfills all three of those offices. Mm-hmm. For example, David. Uh, he, he is a prophet and a king, but he, he wasn't a priest. So right. you can see in the Old Testament that there are some people that hold two of the offices. Uh, David would be an example of that. But all of those three are ultimately fulfilled in, in the person of Christ um, TJ, as you, as you alluded to. Yeah.
1: And that's a, that's a, that's a great, let me, let me make one comment and then I want you to take back over. But, uh, even, even thinking about as you said that, think back to King Saul, right? When, when Saul tries to make a sacrifice, he's the King and he tries to make a sacrifice, which was out of his jurisdiction. And Samuel, rebukes him and says, this is not your task. This is only given to the priest. The priest is the only one who could do this. And he, even though he's the king, he doesn't have the authority to fulfill the role of a priest. Uh, He also didn't have the authority to fulfill the role of the prophet. And so I think that's a really good reminder for us that, yes, we have these different offices and these, but no one in the Old Testament held all of them. You, You had distinctions. I mean, even think about Moses and Aaron right? Like Moses is doing the prophetic work, but Aaron is the line of the priest. Uh, and, and there was no King in Israel at that time. And so you have roles that only Jesus is the one who could who can fulfill all of them. So again, I think that's just a great, a great observation.
0: Yeah, that's good, man. Thanks. Thanks for adding that. Now, if you look back through, uh, church history, you, you won't see as much of a discussion of this throughout the centuries as you did see, um, With uh, defining the hypostatic union, defining who Christ uh, is, defining the Trinity. You know, back in the early third, fourth, fifth centuries is when we see the Christian church really rising up to defend Christology and uh, Trinitarian theology. But if you look throughout the centuries, you don't see as much discussion on prophet, priest, and king up until the time of the Reformation. But um, going all the way back to Eusebius, uh, one of the early uh church historians uh in in the third uh, at the end of the third century he writes so that all of these have a reference to the true christ the divine and heavenly word the only high priest of all men the only king of all creation and the father's only supreme prophet of prophets so we're talking about this here in 2020 but what i want you to see is that the christian church has always affirmed this idea of the offices of christ now as i said it isn't mentioned as much in the earlier years of church history and christianity but it does seem to peak or or see its apex during the time of the reformation um so you know tj you have any thoughts on why? why why would it peak during the time of the reformation or why do we see an absence of absence of it uh, to some degree throughout church history? Any any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you the same question. So thanks for posing it to me first. That was a smart move. Um, I, I think, uh, especially during the Reformation, you had a reclamation of the gospel. Right, like like the gospel had been distorted and lost, and so the reformers were aiming to reclaim that. And that's why you saw those solas, right? This sola sola scriptura uh sola gratia, sola fide, um solas Christus, And so you had this this emphasis on the fundamentals and the 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 main things of Christianity. So you, you had this emphasis back on the word of God and you had this emphasis on salvation by grace through faith and you had this emphasis on the person of Christ. And so because of that I think that there was a a renewed focus on Christ as uh, and his his work and how it's intricately tied to the gospel itself. And so I think as we get to the end of this, we'll see there's a beautiful picture of prophet, the the proclamation of the word, priest, the intercession, and then the king, the eternal reign of Christ. Like I think there's this beautiful picture of the gospel that can be tied up in these three offices. And I think just hearing you talk about this, that during the time of the Reformation, that was such an emphasis that the reformers we're aiming to grab that in any possible avenue. Um, you know, you've got this quote on here from Calvin. He says, Therefore, that faith may find in Christ a solid ground of salvation and so rest in him, because the Reformers were trying to pull this away from a works-based salvation or a salvation that depended so much on the church, rather that salvation would be found in him. Calvin says, Then we must set out this principle, that the office which he received from the, which he received from the Father consists of, of three parts, and that is prophet, priest, and king. So I, I think ultimately it was a, a, a veering away from the gospel that had to be reclaimed at the time of the Reformation.
0: And uh, y- y- this is an important component, as we've stated throughout the Christology series, not only with the person of Christ, but now this is an important component that we need to discuss in, in terms of his work, what he what mm-hmm. he accomplished. Um, and it's absolutely critical that we have this discussion. John Owen said uh, regarding the offices of Christ, And the office of Christ is nothing but the way appointed in the wisdom of God for the communication of the treasures of grace which were communicated to His person. So the offices of Christ, according to John Owen, are wisdom of God, and they communicate the treasures of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would argue that if we don't talk, talk about the offices of Christ uh that we aren't dealing with an aspect of God's wisdom and we aren't seeing the full picture or the full treasure of of Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, man, that that's really well said. That we're not seeing the full picture, the full treasure. Uh so so if you're good with it, man, let's let's look at these individual uh, offices in turn, um, and, and just kind of walk through each individual one. You, you've laid out a beautiful uh, roadmap for us here on our, our episode guide. And so let's let's start then with the office of the prophet. Um, so what, Lance? Like, like I actually had a conversation with a church member earlier today about the concept of prophet prophecy. Uh, that word, oftentimes, we think of prophet meaning. Predictions, right? Like a prophet can tell you what is going to happen in the future. But biblically, what is a prophet? When we hear the word prophet or see the word prophet, especially in the Old Testament, what's a a more succinct and and, uh, concise biblical definition of that term?
0: Yeah, look, there's two things we need to understand about a prophet there is foretelling, like you mentioned, and forth telling foretelling and forth telling both of those um encompass delivering a message from god okay delivering a message a divine message uh from god uh the father I want to send it back to you so you can talk about Burkoff here talking about the prophet.
1: <laughs> yeah, Burkoff, Ber- you know my you know my guy Burkoff, he 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 defines it this way. A prophet is one who comes with a message from God to the people. Uh so uh th- thinking about this from the Old Testament perspective, I mean consider like think about the prophet Isaiah, right? Like Isaiah, yes, he has predictive text about the coming Christ. He has the suffering servant who's to come. He he has this time this time of peace uh, eternally and what that's going to look like, but much of his prophecy is a rebuking and a denunciation of the acts of Israel. And he's telling them what God has said in response to their violation of the covenant, in response to their neglect of the poor and of the widows, in response to their uh, meaningless sacrificial you know, religion that they're practicing without hearts that are set on him. And those are not predictions. Those are it's a message of condemnation that's come from God. And therefore here comes what's coming to you down the road. Uh, but there's a fourth telling, as you mentioned, that says what you've done, uh, is a violation of the word of God back in Deuteronomy. And he's going to reference the law and he's preaching to them, uh, much in the same way that Jesus preaches in, in the gospels, uh, as we get to the new Testament. So, um, so I think that the, the distinction that you made is a really, really important one, and the core behind it, whether it's foretelling or forthtelling whether it's predictions of the future or statements about the here and now, the, the consistent uh, definition of prophecy is that it is a message from God to the people.
0: Yeah, and to jump off of that, um, John Brown, an 18th century Scottish preacher, he defines uh, a prophet as... Uh, the man that instructs us in the nature and will of God and that goes right along with the example that you gave from Isaiah even instructing uh, in the nature of will and the will of God in, in terms of judgment mm. uh, you know in terms of of wrath uh, so much so uh, prophet and prophecy um, they get hijacked to think that it's only something about the future but right. I think we would advocate it's really a it is it is that it is part yeah. of it is that but a majority of it is a, a a divine message that was given for that particular time and for that particular people through a prophet through yes. a prophet you know if you read through the old testament you'll notice not everyone is hearing directly from god right and 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 that is by design
1: that's exactly right a prophet Takes the mess, and this will, I think, will be even easier when we get to the the office of the priest, and we can see the uh, kind of the antithesis or the parallel between those two offices. But the prophet takes a message from God and delivers it to the people, so he is a mouthpiece for God to speak uh, to his people. Um, I, I'm thinking we'll get to this later. Uh, as well. But I'm thinking about Hebrews chapter one, like in the past, God spoke to us by his prophets. So God delivered his message through the Elijahs, through the Moses, through the Elishas, through the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and the Daniels. He He spoke through these prophets who spoke truth to the people of Israel, because like you said, Lance, not everyone's hearing from God directly. They are chosen instruments to deliver God's word. Um, I, I think of we, we mentioned this before. I'm going I'm to let you talk about it. But Deuteronomy 18, there, there's a, a really important text in Deuteronomy 18, which kind of begins the process of the prophets coming into play to speak for Israel. Uh, or to speak to Israel uh, on behalf of God. So, c- could you walk us through Deuteronomy 18 and why that's so important?
0: Yeah, let me let me read Deuteronomy 18:18. 18, 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Um, Deuteronomy 18:18 18, 18 was, was the verse that I just read. Uh, we've got God, uh, Yahweh who is laying down uh, to Moses uh, this idea of the uh, prophetic office. He's saying that I'm going to raise up prophets among you, and I will put my words in these prophets' mouths. In other words, this message that we're talking about, that God gives prophets, God is saying, I'm going to do this. I'm establishing this office. I'm putting my words in their mouths. Um, uh, more examples of this you would see, um, in, in the first chapter of Jeremiah, uh, Mm. God is making it clear that he is putting his words in Jeremiah, the prophet's mouth. Um, so we see this idea. I think some have called it a succession of prophets, a succession of prophets. Um, in other words, generation after generation, uh, here, here in the old Testament times, God is going to raise up people that will be his messenger. He will speak through these people uh, his words. That's why so often in the Old Testament you see, thus says the Lord, thus saith the Lord. God is giving the prophets his message. They know that it's God's message, and they are attributing this message back to God, which is why they open up what they're going to say with, thus says the Lord. So ultimately, as we'll see this episode unfold, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18 is fulfilled in Christ, who is the final prophet. Ultimately, what this verse was uh, getting at.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So when you get to, you have the succession of prophets through the Old Testament, you get to Malachi, uh, which is the, in the English, our English Bibles, it's the last book of the Old Testament. But you get to Malachi, and then there's 400 years, give or take, right, of silence before Jesus shows up. So so God has been speaking to his people through his prophets. And there's many, many, many examples of prophets that God has 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 delivered and given to the people uh, to speak on on his behalf. Um, Acts 3 says, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets, he, he spoke to them. Um, but when we get to Malachi, God stops speaking. And he stops speaking through these divine instruments that he's given and the anticipation builds and builds and builds and it ultimately climaxes and apexes and, and finds its culmination and fulfillment in the person of Christ who comes to be this prophet. Uh, now, Lance, I, if you're good with this, I mean, take us a different direction if we need to, but my question for you is, how how do we make the statement that Jesus is a prophet, right? like Like, what does it mean? Like if we're going to say that the prophet is the one who speaks a message from God to the people, does Jesus actually do that? Is, is it fair to classify him as a prophet?
0: Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, the, the verses that you highlighted there from Malachi and then really the ceasing of after or ceasing of the prophets. Um, and then we have Jesus coming on the scene. It, it it conveys the idea that, um, that, that, Prophets have ceased, one, and uh, I think we could argue for that in another time in another episode, right. but that Jesus Christ, who is God, is now speaking on behalf of God. So he, he's mm-hmm. the embodiment of the the prophet in the truest sense um, as he is speaking the words of God, as he has the ability and capacity to say, thus says the Lord in, 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 the, in the manner of, uh the sermon on the mount where jesus says this i say to you um and and on top of that at the same time affirming what the prophets said um by quoting the old testament numerous times jesus has a wonderful way of identifying himself as a prophet because he speaks for god as god and the sermon on the mount highlights that and then multiple other times in the gospel record he's quoting from old testament scripture that was given to and written by
1: prophets I love that you mentioned the Sermon on the Mount. I was just reading that earlier today, thought exactly of what you just said. Uh, you've heard of this, said, but I say to you, and remember how Matthew ends this Sermon on the Mount when he gets to the end of Matthew 7. He says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So this is Matthew 7, 28 and 29. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the scribes merely trumpeted what had been stated before, but Jesus was speaking with authority. He was giving new revelation. He was giving new statement. He had authority to deliver a message of what God had to say. And there was uh, a a message from God coming through the mouthpiece uh, of Jesus as the prophet, though he was God himself, though he was also in the flesh. We've already talked about that. Uh, He's fully God, fully man. Yet as he spoke, he fulfilled the office and function of of a prophet
0: yeah and that's good and as we continue working through our guide here we want you to understand that in the new testament the apostles affirmed jesus as a prophet okay again this wasn't an idea uh that was concocted by the early church you know eusebius and calvin and you know right and, and those guys but the new testament attests to this in other words after jesus has died resurrected and ascended Uh, The New Testament affirms this idea that he was a prophet. Specifically, the apostles talk about it. In Acts chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, after Peter heals a lame beggar, um, he he shares the gospel, but he also quotes from the Old Testament. Um, In verse 22, he says, "...the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren." to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. So he, Peter, quotes the verse that we just read from Deuteronomy chapter 18, and now listen to verse 23 of Acts 3. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So in the in the middle of Peter's gospel message and his gospel presentation in Acts chapter 3, He goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and quotes from verse 15 and 18, and he says, if you don't believe that prophet, you will be utterly destroyed. Now, of course, he wasn't talking about Moses. He wasn't talking about Isaiah. He wasn't talking about Malachi, but he's talking about Jesus Christ. So again, as early as really, the, the first few weeks and months of Jesus's ascension, the apostles are affirming him as the prophet.
1: man, that's that's so good. Um, what what a what a really powerful and easy to miss observation there. I, I really appreciate you drawing that out and um, and we could go so many other places, but I, I think the point's been made. and uh, I, I think kind of to wrap this up, i would I would reference again Hebrews chapter one. Um, I, I think that this is very succinct and, and down the road, hopefully we can talk about some of the implications of the prophecy of prophecy being ended and what that means. But Hebrews chapter one says long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So that was his method of speaking by the prophets, by the office of the prophets. But verse two, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son and the implication there being prophecy the office of the prophet was culminated, was was ended in the person of Christ, who was the ultimate prophet, the ultimate one who has spoken for God, the revelation of God in the flesh. Um, the Word became flesh. So, so now there are no more prophets the same way there have been because God has already spoken and He's finished His speaking through the person of Jesus. Um, that's that's the argument there of Hebrews chapter one. So, um, man, that that was that was really good. Anything you want to add to prophet before we hop into the the priest office?
0: Yeah, just a couple things. The New Testament um, even shows from Jesus's own lips that he was a prophet. Luke thirteen thirty three. Um, you could go to other texts such as John chapter eight and John chapter twelve, and you can see that Jesus is uh, clearly exhibiting and identifying himself as a prophet. And even numerous times throughout the Gospels, uh, the people are responding. The people are saying and asking. And are concerned about him being a prophet mm-hmm. um, but he's not he's not merely a prophet i like how you've done that tj when we talked about um jesus being truly god and truly man Well, he's not merely man mm-hmm. he's not merely god well the same would be true of his offices that's he's good. not merely a prophet and that moves us into really part two of our episode uh the second office that we're discussing that jesus is a priest
1: yeah that's man i i love that uh, he's He's not less than a prophet. He's he's more than a prophet, but he's not less than that, right? He's definitely a prophet. Uh, but he's also a priest, as you said. And the priest, th- there are no examples of, to my knowledge, off the top of my head, of any Prophets and priests in the Old Testament. Perhaps you could make the argument for Samuel, um, kind of this transition phase uh, as he anoints the king. But but really, you don't you don't have this office being shared uh, as prophet and priest because uh, the prophet spoke to the people for God, whereas the other way around, the priest essentially interceded for the people to speak back to God. So so you have. You have a two-way, you know, like communication between God and His people. The prophet spoke to the people, and the priest spoke to God. How how would you kind of develop that a little bit more? That's very simplistic, but that kind of gives us a picture of where we're going with this.
0: Yeah, I think at least for where we're going, uh, that's all that we need. I I think that I would add to that that uh, this idea of a priest—it's an honorable or respectable position and it's always used that way in the old testament in fact with uh, your god Burkhoff, Burkhoff says that this was a special privilege mm-hmm. uh, to be able uh, to approach god and speaking and acting on behalf of the people this is what a priest did he it was a privilege to be able to approach the holiness of god you know if you go back and read through um uh, all, all of the rules and regulations uh, that the priest had to stand by and abide by to be able to, um, intercede for, uh, the people. Um, it wasn't approaching God in any manner, in any way. Um, it was a honorable and respectable position because it it was, it was highly privileged because of what they were doing. Again, I like how you differentiated that between a prophet you know a prophet was speaking the words of god however the priest is the one that's speaking on the behalf of the people to god
1: yeah and when and that's so that's such a uh, a good way to put that and when he spoke to god on behalf of the people his primary responsibility was the confession of sin and the presentation of sacrifices, right? Like that was that was his primary role. I mean, Hebrews 5, 1. Every high priest taken from among men is appointed. You already pointed that out. That's that's really good. He's appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices. For sins, so so his primary function, the primary function of the office of the priest, is to go to God on behalf of sinful people who cannot approach God, and God gave a special, uh, a special uh, dispensation of grace, I guess you could say, like a a special uh, through this office of priest, He allowed the 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 priest to approach him in the Holy of Holies and to offer these sacrifices as a means of communicating contrition and repentance for the people. So on behalf of the people, um, in in communicating that to God and to speaking to God on behalf of his people, uh, because the people uh, needed to be cleansed in order to have access to God, and their, their means of access was through the priest who had been Appointed for this task, uh, to and only the priest had access to do this.
0: Yeah, what's so beautiful about this, TJ, is that man didn't invent the priesthood in the Old Testament. It's good. You know, this is this is what God has established and prescribed, so sinful man uh, can be able to commune with Him. Um, you know, the, the priesthood would not be necessary if it wasn't for the fall of man in Genesis chapter three. And this idea right. of a priest, it, it, again, you don't you don't see this uh, in Genesis one and two. Um, but you do see this later on because of man's sinfulness. There needs to be a priest who can stand as man's representative, right. um, offering gifts and sacrificing and interceding for man. Um, and, and as you mentioned, this, this is what they, this is what they did. Right. You know, this wasn't a part-time job for priests. You yeah, know, they, yeah. They 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 weren't priests for uh, one day of the week and then just went and worked in fields for the other six. No, man. Mm-hmm. This was this was a twenty-four-seven deal.
1: And, and it was a. It was more than a job too. It was a calling, right? Like this was this was a. And and I love what you 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 already pointed this out about they were appointed to this, but any of these offices, you couldn't just apply. You couldn't be like, Hey, like I'm like the most qualified candidate to be the next King of Israel. Elect me. Like this was all by divine appointment. You, you were chosen by God to be a prophet, or you were chosen by God to be a priest through your, through the priestly line, or you were chosen by God through the line of David to be a King. Uh, Those were God's choices. And that was God's appointing. And ultimately we know that that was because Jesus is going to be the appointed one, the chosen one to fulfill all of those. But Yeah, you you didn't have the option to say, you know what, man, those priests have like the best vacation schedule. So like I'm hopping on that like you couldn't. So this was a this was a high, high honor. Uh, And the point in saying all this is to demonstrate that Jesus was coming to be the ultimate fulfillment of the priest. So the priest speaks to God on behalf of the people and offers the sacrifice. So how then does Jesus serve as a priest uh, according to Scripture? Specifically, I'm thinking about the book of Hebrews. There's there's references in the Old Testament, but kind of take me through the role of Jesus as the priest. Uh, Make a case, I, I would say, from Scripture um, you know, I, I immediately think of Hebrews chapter four, right? When it right. says we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, like Jesus specifically called a priest in Hebrews chapter four. But are there other indications that Jesus came to fulfill the role, uh, and the office of a priest? Um, Yeah, but I think we again we're trying
0: to establish here that you know we're we're not just manipulating the text here to get to the idea that Jesus was a priest. Of course, you know I think Hebrews is the landmark book and the go-to book in the New Testament that identifies this and you know plays this out. Uh, But we could go back to the book of Psalms, Psalm one hundred and ten, verse four. It says, "The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind." you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you go back and read Psalm 110, it's a messianic psalm. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, the entire psalm is about the coming Messiah or the coming Christ. Uh, but in verse 4, it, it tells us that uh, the coming Christ, the Messiah, He, he will be a priest, but, but not in, in similar ways that uh, the priests were established in the Old Testament because all of those priests died because all of those priests that were sinners but Christ the Messiah will be a priest forever a priest forever so there is something unique about Jesus uh, that was not um, uh, prevalent with the Old Testament priests um, now that the the end of verse four uh, where it talks about the order of Melchizedek it's an interesting conversation. But if you do a little research on Melchizedek, you'll notice that he was a priest before the Levitical priesthood. He was a priest before the Levitical priesthood. So what the psalm is also establishing is that even though the Levites were priests in the Old Testament, that Jesus uniquely will be outside of the Levitical priesthood, and he will actually come from the tribe of Judah. So again this is foreshadowing that the ultimate and final priest that the book of Hebrews explains is going to be a unique situation but it is said beforehand to be able to recognize who this priest is and it's not going to be a levite but it will be Jesus from the tribe of Judah.
1: Yeah this man that's such a good observation and um yeah, I, I, I learned from that. that was that was really good. I, I wasn't ready for that, so I uh, appreciate you you walking us through there. Um, and and the last the last element of this conversation about Jesus as the priest is one of the things that you already hinted at, but this priesthood would be different. And part of the reason why the priesthood would be different is because the priest was to offer the sacrifice at the feet of God on behalf of the people. But in this case, in the instance of Jesus, Jesus as the priest also served as the sacrifice so Jesus laid down his own life we see that repeatedly uh the, the, his prophetic uh declarations to the other uh, uh to the disciples he says I will lay my life down I, I lay my life down for the sheep and in doing this what Jesus is saying is I, as the priest, will lay my life down as the sacrifice. So uh, this fulfillment that happens in Christ, I'm thinking of passages, Romans 3, uh, Romans chapter 5, all throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus referencing this, that I lay down my life. Uh, the Gospel of John repeatedly talks about this, that I lay down my life and I have the authority to take it up again. But he's saying, I am presenting myself as the sacrifice, but I'm doing it as the priest as well. Um, Lance, any any clarification for that? I'm not sure that I'm communicating that well.
0: No, you you did. Um, And I I would just add to that, what you just laid out there is the priest becoming the sacrifice was also prophesied about in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Again, the book of Hebrews connects all of this because Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, it says that an animal sacrifice isn't ultimately what God is looking for here. Right. That an animal sacrifice and burnt offerings and a sin offering, you have not uh, required. Uh, Psalm chapter 40 explains. But later on in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 says that God was looking for a body. God was looking for a body, um, which is Jesus making intercession for the people. He, he's able to bring man to God because he laid down his life, he gave up his body. Um, as opposed to the animal sacrifices that we see the priest performing in the Old Testament.
1: Okay. So prophet, Jesus fulfilled the ultimate, he's the ultimate prophet priest. Jesus is the ultimate priest. He he comes as the great high priest. He as Hebrews four tells us he's able to serve as the mediator between God and men. We've talked about that before first uh, Timothy chapter two uh, and, and this incredible uh, role as the God man, he's able to do that, but that's part of his function as the priest. But, Third, and finally, he also comes to serve, fulfill the office and the function of a king. Now, that concept of king is a little bit more familiar, a little bit more uh, straightforward, right? A king rules, reigns, expresses and determines his sovereignty. like, Like that's what a king does. But Lance, help me understand more about the concept of the kingly office of Jesus.
0: Yeah, there's two components to the uh, kingly office of Jesus Christ, uh, his mediatorial kingship and his uh, universal kingship. Um, his mediatorial kingship, uh, you can basically sum that up as Christ ruling over his redeemed people, um, the redeemed people that he purchased by his blood. So it's Christ's rule over the church. That, that's the mediatorial kingship of Christ. It's him uh, as sovereign and as the ruler over the people that he redeemed on the cross. You also so have,
1: is that, let me ask a question, mediatorial. This is not on the guide. So heads up here. Incoming the mediatorial. Then would you say that that is a present tense and a future tense reality that he will, he's presently ruling in our own hearts as the sovereign Lord uh, of his people, but also for eternity as we gather around the throne room, uh, or, or around the throne in the throne room, as John describes this scene in Revelation, and we're all crying out and extolling him and lifting him up in praise. Like that's a mediatorial kingship, right? Because it's his people?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. He, he's always living to make intercession for his people. Yeah, that's right. Um, so this me- mediatorial kingship of Christ is something that is always ongoing. You know, it, it becomes part of the believer's life upon repentance and and belief uh, salvation, conversion, and those things. But yes, uh, as you explained, uh, this continues in the new heaven and the new earth uh, forever. So this isn't a uh, limited uh, mediatorial work in terms of time. Uh, there's an eternal aspect to this. Um, so yeah, back to the two components of the uh, kingship uh, of, of Christ. We've got the mediatorial that we just discussed briefly, and then we also have the universal. um that Christ rules as king over the entire world. So I think we have a little bit of both of those kind of sprinkled throughout the rest of this episode. Um, but um, th- those are basically the two components of his kingship flushed out and at least most systematics that, that, that I've come across. Is there a third one we could add to that or is that basically it?
1: That's No, That I think that's uh, fairly comprehensive, uh, especially when you consider that uh, eternally, those are going to be the two, uh, the, the, the two means or the components of his kingly reign, right? Like he's got his, his mediatorial one where he's constantly forevermore, making intercession for the saints and we're worshiping and praising him as our King. Uh, but he's also the eternal King of all creation. Uh, revelation chapter five, uh, Philippians two, which we'll talk about briefly here momentarily, but yes, I I think you sufficiently and adequately explain those two. And I think that was really helpful.
0: Yeah, and just in case someone listening may not know, when we talk about mediatorial or mediator, um, you know, one of the texts that we'd be drawing from would be First Timothy chapter 2. I, th- I think it's verse 4 that Christ is the mediator between God and men. You know, all we're, we're saying is that he is the middle man, he is right. the go between. That's why it's so important that we understand the person of Christ, that he's truly God and truly man. And because he is both he can intercede on behalf of man uh, but also he, he, he can uh, partake in all the divine work that man needs to be redeemed um, so this mediatorial aspect of Christ uh, basically summed up easiest way possible is that he, he's the middleman between God and man but he can be the middleman because he's both God and man that's exactly. again un- unique to Christ
1: Exactly. That's and that's a plug for a previous episode talking about the deity of Christ and humanity of Christ. Why that's so uh, incredibly important. Um, and you're exactly right. As the God-Man, He serves. He's, there's one uh, mediator between God and men, and that is the the Man Jesus Christ. Um, so we've talked about how Jesus has fulfilled the office of the prophet and also the office of the priest, but thinking about the office of the king, um, my mind immediately goes to Second Samuel chapter seven, right? The the covenant that God makes with David, um, when He says that from uh, I will establish a king and his kingdom of his kingdom there shall be no end, his throne uh, his kingdom shall, shall continue forever, uh, and, and He has this covenant that He makes with David, but David we know dies. And we know that every king after him, every, the line of David continues. There continues to be death, and that, and you get to a point where there is no more king in Israel. Like Israel goes into captivity, and then, uh, then they're they're under Roman oppression and rule. It's like like the king there, there's no king in Israel. Um, so how then is God faithful to fulfill that promise that He makes to David in Second Samuel chapter seven? And by the way, that's a promise and a covenant that is re- repeated. Over and over again in the old testament. So when we see that promise, how can we say that God is faithful to fulfill the promise that he made to David at that point?
0: Uh, I'm just laughing over here. You just set up the context for Psalm eighty nine, like that was I mean, an accident. I know, accident, you, I, nah, dude. That, that that was gold. <laughs> that, that was pure gold. Was that an accident?
1: It was an accident. I didn't even see Psalm eighty nines <laughs> on the guide. So you just take yeah, it, man. Yeah. That's that's my nah,
0: Yeah, just you probably hit rewind there and listen (laughs) to that context again. Um, But we have the biblical prophecy um, that that affirm the kingship of Christ. But we even have uh, a reaffirmation of what TJ was explaining from Second uh, Samuel chapter seven. You know, David dies; subsequent kings die. How how do we know that God is going to remain faithful to that? Mm -hmm. Well, Psalm eighty nine tells us. Psalm 89 verse 35, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. Verse 37, it shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. I mean, dude, I I couldn't have set that up better myself.
1: (laughs) So so talk to me about those verses and why that points to christ
0: yeah again the these these verses are picturing um that a descendant from david will endure forever on Mm -hmm. david's and the key is on david's throne Mm -hmm. on david's throne so we have to understand from this text it's talking about a kingly ruler this isn't talking about a priest this isn't talking about a prophet Uh, but here in context it's talking specifically about A king, you know, and that's why I think even in the New Testament we we have to cut, uh, we have to cut some slack to those people um, that were living during the time of Jesus that didn't fully grasp this entire idea that he was a prophet, priest, and the king, yeah, prophet, priest, and the king. You know, we can look back and take the all of Revelation and, and see this but it's slowly being unpacked in the old testament and ultimately brought together in the new and th- this is an, again one of those examples here that we've got hundreds of years before christ that he ultimately fulfills the psalm 89 passage being this descendant uh that will keep the uh the, the promise of god and also establish this kingly throne forever
1: man that's you're I have nothing to add. That's so good. You keep going in progressive revelation. So you see this prophecy in Psalm 89. When you get to the time of Jesus, Jesus is quick to uh, demonstrate that he is indeed a king. And you, you look at his life, his rudimentary life. He's a son of a carpenter, right? Like he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He's homeless. He, he's got a bunch of bums as friends that he runs around with. But what does he say in John chapter 18? in verse 36 and 37, he says, my kingdom, and this is leading up to his crucifixion. This is right after the high priestly prayer in John uh, 17. Uh, He says, my kingdom is not of this world. So he says he has a kingdom. He is a king. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Like okay, you have a kingdom. Are you a king? And Jesus answered, "You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. In other words, I have come to make it known that I am the king that has been prophesied about back all the way back in Second Samuel chapter seven, when God made a promise with David a thousand years before. I am the fulfillment of that. I am the king, uh, the king who is to come. And that's why we read in Revelation nineteen that He is the king of." kings. Because of all the other kings, they all ultimately point to the fulfillment being uh, wrapped up in the person and the office of the kingship of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Man, the connection that you made there. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Coming from Jesus's own lips, mm-hmm. I'm the fulfillment of Second Samuel 7. Man, That mm-hmm. that, is, that is absolute gold. So we, we've identified that there's prophecy about uh, Jesus's uh, kingship He gives personal testimony that he is a king. And then thirdly here, uh, even the testimony of the church, even testimony of the church uh, from from the book of Acts. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 17, uh, you've got Paul and Silas who are at Thessalonica. They are preaching and teaching uh, the gospel, uh, Jesus Christ, his resurrection, uh, all those core tenets of the faith. They are establishing those. Well, of course, uh, they're getting pushback. Uh, hostility is arising. Um, so in Acts chapter uh, 17, um, uh, there's basically a mob that's forming. There's attacks that are coming upon uh, the Christians, in particular Paul and Silas, uh, people of the house of Jason, we're told, who's an interesting figure here, just you know, plays a small role uh, in the Acts narrative. Um But let's pick up that narrative here in verse 5. I'm going to read a couple verses because there's something subtle in this text and that ties directly into what we're trying to defend here with Mm. Jesus being king. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 5. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason, and they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying Mm. that there is another king, Jesus. Mm. Which, again... I don't know how many times that i've read through the book of acts and read that particular story and haven't really made the connection of what's going on here of course they're preaching and teaching the gospel but they are establishing that jesus is king and the the people hate it because they're not placing caesar as king instead jesus
1: and that's i i don't know if i ever caught that either so subtle so easy to miss Uh, But such a good reminder, Uh, you know, I just preached this past Sunday on Philippians 2, 9 through 11, and talking about how every knee will bow. And John echoes that in Revelation chapter 5, and Paul says it again in Ephesians chapter 1, but every knee will bow, and there's a submission uh, to this kingship of Jesus. And I I think that's a good place to wrap up, thinking about from the first century when, when uh, the Jesus, uh, the, the disciples were acknowledging there is another King and his kingdom will not end. So there is no more Caesar. Caesar's gone. There is no King, uh, like Caesar that, that, that empire has passed away, but the kingship of Jesus is eternal. Uh, that will remain forever. There is another King Jesus, they say, but once you get to Jesus, there is no other, uh, he is the King of Kings. So, um, all right, Lance, we're, we're, we're out of time. um, initiative takeaway point of application anything stand out to you that you that you want to help our our listeners take home
0: yeah i think i would i would say two things real quick i, I think that again this promotes uh, the uniqueness of christ uh, the fact that he does fulfill all three of these offices and that the scripture outlines jesus in in this particular manner again it just back where we started in part 1 the grand distinction of Christianity. Again, this episode and the offices that we are arguing for um, articulate how unique Jesus really is. And then secondly, I would just finish uh, with a quote from John Calvin. I posted this on social media the other day, but I think it's worthy of mentioning here. Uh, Calvin says, However numerous and powerful the enemies who conspire to assault the church they are not possessed of strength sufficient to prevail against the immortal decree by which He appointed his son eternal king. So I think that even everything that we're facing in our world today, um, at, at the time of the uh, release of this episode, July 27th, uh, I think we need to hear that Jesus is still reigning and ruling, and that yeah. second Samuel chapter 7 promise uh, will be brought to full uh, fruition. Um, in the new heaven and the new earth when Christ returns.
1: Amen. Amen. I have nothing to add to that. that was, that's outstanding. Um, I, I think for my initiative, I, I think where I would want to go, kind of where I, I want to land, is that as you're reading Scripture, especially the Old Testament, uh, my encouragement would be to look for these offices and to see the buildup that leads us to Christ. Um, I, I've been reading through uh, chunks of the Old Testament at times, and, and I'm reading through the kings, and I'm seeing the failure of the kings. I'm seeing the lack of uh, of godly leadership, and even the ones who did good still, but they still failed in this way. Uh, same thing with the prophets. You can see uh, how God has used his instruments, but even men like Moses, these great prophets, these great leaders, they have failures. They fall short. Uh, and they don't fulfill the other roles. and And then the roles of the priests, the priests were kind of pathetic over the course of time, uh, for the nation of Israel. They failed miserably. and and the prophets, too, I mean, many of the prophets failed miserably. the kings failed miserably, but Jesus doesn't. And so, as you're reading, my encouragement is just to see how God is preparing the way for the great prophet, priest, and king to come and to make right. All of those things, and to do them eternally, and to do them, uh, to do them with only the way that God Himself could do them.
0: Dude, as always, man, just just bringing it home. Dude, absolutely you, love it you want
1: to do like another hour of conversation on this yeah, I like, absolutely love gosh. it oh, There's so, so much good stuff here uh, if you've made it this far in the episode thanks for sticking around thanks for hanging out with us thinking theology if you're not doing so already make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes leave us a review there uh, some some feedback we would love uh, an honest five star review you can subscribe to our YouTube channel like us on Facebook at reformed informants on social media we're on Instagram and Twitter at r underscore informants and as always you can find the to all of our social media platforms look at all of our previous episodes and get you some uh reformed informants gear you can find all of that at our website at www.themajestysmen.com slash reformed informants
0: also be on the lookout for professional pictures of tj you can find those
1: (laughs) (laughs) just 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 stick around there's good stuff coming
0: Well, if you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.